information, but Father, I pray that tonight as we move into chapter 7 and fin- finish this, this um, Old Testament book, again, much of what we've been going over gets ignored um, in the reading of Christians or even in the church, but there's so much here for us. And Lord, uh, it's a message that is recorded for all eternity because we know that the Word of God will stand forever. And we know that uh, there's a reason for this, for our profit, for the um, instruction and for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that we may thoroughly, thoroughly be equipped for every good work. It's for our benefit. So Lord, I thank you for those who've taken the time to tune in and listen, um, and I pray that you just bless our hearts in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Amos of the Old Testament, we're opening and, uh, up and going through and finishing the third and final division of the book, Amos being nine chapters long, uh, but he will give us visions concerning the future. And we know that Amos, he was a sheep herder, he was a farmer, he was from Tekoa, that is in Judah, south of Jerusalem, near Bethlehem. But he goes up and he gives this message to the ten northern tribes of Israel, the house of Israel, that was going through prosperity. So was the house of Judah, because Uzziah was reigning in Judah. They were expanding their territory. They were doing well. And then also we know that Jeroboam II was ruling up in Israel. The Assyrians had declined in power for a short time during this time, but it's not going to last long. So as these uh, prophecies against Israel are happening, that you're going to go into captivity, they're going to have the mindset, no way it's going to happen. It's, it's not for us. Everything is good. Uh, why are you coming against us, Amos? And those are very practical lessons in, for us to take and to make application in our own lives because we know that people today will say, where's the coming of the Lord? What do you mean there's going to be a tribulation period that there's going to be judgment on a Christ-rejected world, that the Lord's going to come back. Why do you prophesy against us? Things are going to continue as they are. And they'll come against us Christians with the word that we have to give. Now keep in mind that here is Amos. He gives this lamentation um, that we saw in the previous uh, lesson that we went through. And his heart is breaking as he gives this uh, uh, prophecy, uh, a powerful word to the nation encouraging the people to turn back to the Lord, turn away from your idol worship and your sin. And it it laments our hearts, if you would, uh, as we uh, think about the the direction of our own country, the direction of what we see uh, in our culture, getting further away from the Lord. And so um, right there, as, as we consider these words, I think that we can understand a little bit of the heart of Amos and the heart of the Lord who's, you know, grieving over his people leaving him. And we need to understand this, that, that as Christians, it grieves God's heart when we go into sin, when we're involved in sin. It grieves God's heart when there is a culture in the nation that is rejecting him. So we continue here in chapter 7. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And as we open up chapter 7, the first vision Amos saw, God preparing a locust infestation at the nation's most 
vulnerable time of the year. It was the time of the late crop after the king's mowing, as we read in verse 1. In other words, it was right after the king's share had been harvested. So he gets his share of the crops, and it would be like paying taxes, um, tribute to the king. And it would be right when the second crop would be coming up, which would be really bad news for the people. Uh, I can't emphasize enough the importance of what we have seen as we've gone through the books of the prophet, this indictment that would come against the leaders, the leaders who were leading the people, the civil leaders and the religious leaders. That includes the priests and and the false prophets that came on the, the scene, that they were leading the people astray. And what they were doing is not helping the people or serving the people but they were taking advantage of the people. And the, and the people uh, would experience great consequences because of it. And how important it is, it reminded to us, that we as we lead, whether you're a mom and dad in your home, listen, guys, the leaders of your home, if you're leading in ministry, uh, if you are seen as a leader in your business, maybe you own a business, maybe you're a supervisor, that there's... There's, you know, awesome responsibility that's given to us, an opportunity that we are to serve and we are to be a blessing and we are to do it in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. But here, you know, the king's going to get his share, but the people are not going to get their share. We continue in verse 2. So it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, Oh, Lord God, forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Interesting here. He saw the vision, the land being stripped by the locusts. Now, we just got out of Joel. And remember, Joel, which book is probably a little bit older. Here, this is around 760 B.C. Joel, they believe, that he was prophesying about 780 B.C. And 20 years before Amos here. And Joel talked about that locust infestation, the consuming locusts, the eating locusts, the crawling locusts, the flying locusts. They came and devoured the land. And then he would prophesy to the future concerning the day of the Lord, that this army is going to come upon uh, God's people. And I believe he's speaking, of course, of that time in the tribulation period when the nations of the world will surround Jerusalem and, and gather together in that last battle called the Battle of Armageddon that it looks like that Israel's going to go down. Uh, it looks like it's over for them, but then the Lord intervenes. And Joel's talking about it's like this army that's like an invading locust that's going to strip the land. Here we see that Amos talks about it as well. And Amos is moved with compassion and concern for the nation, and he intercedes in prayer. Forgive, I pray, so that Jacob would stand and the nation uh, wouldn't have survived. So the Lord relented concerning this. So the debate is, can we change God's mind? I don't think it's a matter of us changing his mind. Uh, I, I think that it, it shows us how important the intercessory prayer is. We are told to pray, and we see that as God's people would turn to him and, and pray, there are times that the Lord relented. And it's not that, oh, you know, I made a mistake. I blew my top. You know, I, I shouldn't have, have said that. It, it isn't that, but it just shows us how the Lord desires for us to stand in the gap. Remember Ezekiel, that the Lord said, I'm looking for an individual that's going to stand in the gap, the broken down wall, this broken down nation, 
and pray for the nation. It was Moses, remember, when the children of Israel uh, sinned around the golden calf and the Lord said, Moses, stand aside. I'm going to destroy this nation. I'll make a great nation out of you. And it was Moses that interceded on behalf of the people. So it shows us the importance of interceding. And we need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for the people around us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, uh, have compassion. Lord, uh, be gracious uh, in interceding on behalf of, of individuals. And the importance of that shown to us in the scriptures. But let's continue in verse 4. Thus says the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. And uh, then I said, Amos, O Lord God, cease, I pray, O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. You know, we're a small nation. We're not this huge, powerful nation. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. So he saw fire, and it would spread quickly. And the response again is that we see Amos begins to pray. He begins to plead for mercy. Fire could be because of the drought. What do we see here in the West? What do we hear a lot about is, is man-made climate change and all of this. And we need to be praying, you know, for our nation and he's going to talk about that there's going to be famine in the land, but it isn't going to be of food. It isn't going to be of bread, but of the word of God. And we'll be reading that in just a little bit. But we need to be praying for our own nation as we see drought, we see the challenges, we see the difficulties. It can be overwhelming. And it seems like that more and more that I can watch the news for just a couple minutes and I can get annoyed, I can get upset, uh, but as I look at it, it really points to what the Lord said would be part of the birth pangs in the last days, that there would be perplexity of nations with distress. You know, nations facing problems, and when there's no direction of the Lord and no desire to seek the Lord, those problems are going to get worse, and they're going to deepen, and they're going to be more challenging because... You know, a nation that does not look to the ways of the Lord and, and try to figure things out themselves is headed in a, in a wrong direction. And so we need to also intercede for our country. There's drought, literally, as we see, as we've seen the fires in the West, the fires in Colorado last year were devastating and, and talk of more drought that is coming. And we need to understand that there is a drought spiritually that has taken place in our nation and in our land. But then we see in verse 7, Thus he showed me, behold, a Lord stood on the wall, uh, made with a plumb line, and a plumb line is hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, in just kind of a little side note, that he said, what do you see, Amos? As he showed him a plumb line. He said, a plumb line. Uh, and remember that in the Valley of Dead Bones, uh, uh, that Ezekiel what do you see, Ezekiel? Can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, you show me. And I think that the Lord will place things in front of us, and we don't always know exactly. We know that, you know, that's a plumb line. You know, those are, are dead bones there. But Lord, you show me, and you give me further revelation, and you speak to my heart, and that's what's going on here. And the Lord said, you know, that behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house 
of Jeroboam, that's Jeroboam II. So a plumb line was used to measure and to make a wall straight. And whenever you see God speaking, oftentimes in the Old Testament of a plumb line, he's speaking of measuring. We see that in Jeremiah 31, Isaiah chapter 28, Zechariah chapter 2. It, oftentimes in those, those references I just gave to you, will speak of judgment. And God holds this measurement against Israel and finds that they are not straight. And when the nation was built, it was true to the plumb line. But now it had veered and uh, ventured off so far away from the Lord and that the wall needed to be torn down. And if in construction you build a wall and it's not straight, then it's not good and it has to be torn down. Jesus comes along and, of course, he says that I am the cornerstone. I am the, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone whom the builders have rejected. And the cornerstone of a building is the one that is set to where all the other stones are plumbed to that cornerstone. And he is our cornerstone of our own lives and of the church as well. And we need to line up with everything with the words of Jesus as how he wants us to live, living for him, learning of him, being yoked with him. He's the chief cornerstone. And if we, we veer off from what he has for us in our lives, our lives begin to get torn down. And as we read in verse 10, uh, we see that there's a complaint against Amos. Then uh, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Now remember that Bethel was the place where they built the golden calf. When Jeroboam I, when the ten northern tribes broke away from the house of Judah, that Jeroboam I built a, a, a temple dedicated to the golden calf in Dan, in the northern part of the country, and then in Bethel. Uh, it was later called Beth-Avon, the house of idols, as we've seen going through the prophets of the Old Testament. And it was at one time, Bethel means house of God. And it was the place where Jacob saw that vision of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And Jacob wakes up and says, God was in this place and I did not know. And he called it Bethel, the, the house of God. And all of a sudden, it became a place of idol worship, Beth-Avon, the house of uh, idols. And so Bethel here, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. And thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And Israel sh shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer. Yes, was another name for a prophet. Flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy. But never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. Amazing that this, this false uh, priest here, given over to idol worship, ministering there at Bethel, he is the priest of the golden calf, and now he's coming against the prophet of God. And the priest tells the king, hey, we can't stand to hear Amos anymore. He's conspiring against you. He is, you know, prophesying against you, and then the nation's going to be led into captivity. And the lie is Amos, you know, didn't speak directly against Jeroboam. Um, and he did speak against the house of Israel, that they're going to go into to captivity. But he did not say that Jeroboam was going to die by the sword. And there are those who will come against you and me. And here's the application for us, that as we speak the word Lord, hear 
the priest is saying, you go away. You go back home. You prophesy in Judah. But leave us alone. Don't ever come back. Don't ever speak truth. And today, the world and the culture will say to you and to me that you keep quiet. Go to church. You know, you can go to church and you can worship in your church. But don't you bring that gospel to our family, to our neighborhood, to our workplace. Don't you speak the gospel. And many of you that you're working in places where it's forbidden for you, or at least they tell you, you can't speak about God, you can't speak the gospel message. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're, you know, some places that even are, have chaplains, like in the hospital, they're told that you've got to be pluralistic, you can't speak the, the name of Jesus. Uh, I remember when I had opportunity, I was invited to go down to the Colorado State Senate chambers in Denver and to give an invocation there on, it was law enforcement day, where they were making a proclamation. I was invited by one of the senators that is in our area that's uh, a Christian, and he invited me down to Denver to give the invocation for this proclamation. And right before I went up, the Senate president gave me a piece of paper, and I just handed it over. You know, I had gone with uh, somebody, and I said, you just take that. I'm not going to read it because I knew what I was going to say. That You can't pray in the name of Jesus. Don't you come down here to Denver, to the Capitol, to the Senate chambers, you know, which is the chamber of leadership. Don't you dare pray in the name of Jesus. Well, I prayed in the name of Jesus. And, and um, that's what I do as a Christian. So there are those times where, you know, we're really put in a situation are we going to be true to the gospel or are we going to be true to Jesus? And it doesn't mean that we go to a place, you know, at your workplace, and, and we, you know, are looking for a fight or stirring things up, but we can be true to the Lord. And we can be true when people begin the conversation with us and we are to give them truth, but we don't have to hide under the covers and think that we can't be a witness for anyone. So the words are hard and uh, is what they're saying. Never again prophesy. Uh, this is the king's sanctuary. That really caught my attention. This is a sanctuary for the king. So the question is, where is your sanctuary? I mean, truly. You might be thinking, well, I go to church. But when things are hard and things are difficult, when you look to, to find help and strength and comfort, where do you go? And I believe that many of you, if not most of you that are listening, that you say, I go to the Lord. I go to that place of prayer. I go to be with the brethren. That's what I hope that you say. Not, well, I'm so under so much stress, I'm going to go down to the bars. I'm going to go drinking with my buddies. I'm going to go party a little bit. I'm just going to go away from the Lord and just forget about this Christianity thing. Don't make the world your sanctuary, but may the Lord be you know, your sanctuary. Because he's the place of protection and provision and stability. And even as David, as he's out there in the wilderness, I can't help but think that psalm that, I think it's probably my favorite psalm uh, that is written. And as David is in a place where, you know, he says, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. And from the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. And lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You've been a shelter for me. And I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will sh 
trust in the shelter of your wings. So here's the thing, that as we find ourselves that in difficult situations, a lot of stress, disappointments, that we're to cry out to him. And David was in the wilderness, and that wilderness became his sanctuary as he knew that the Lord would hear his cry and attend to his prayer. And the Lord hears our cry and he attends to our prayer as well as we go to him. But in verse 14, And Amos answered and said to Amosiah, I am no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. And therefore thus says the Lord God, Your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall be fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by a servile line. You shall die in the filed land. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. So he wasn't raised a prophet or the son of a prophet. He was a herdsman, a, 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 a one who worked the land. And God called him to minister and give his word. And that's an encouragement to all of us because we think, well, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. I'm not a, a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. Uh, I, how can God use me? He said, I was a sheep herder. I, I was breeding sheep. I was working the land. But the Lord spoke to me and said, listen, I want you to go to the house of Israel. And here's the word. And then Amos gives that word once again that, you, you know, this is what's going to happen. And you shall be led away captive from your own land. God wants to use you to give a message, a message of the gospel, of his love, of his truth to others. And as we do, wherever you're at, he wants to use you, whatever it is that you're doing. He loves to use, as I say, ordinary people like you and me. And that's what I love about the scripture. He uses Amos, a, a, a fig picker, a sheep herder. He uses a shepherd, he, he like David and like uh, Moses. Uh, he uses a young teenager that's taken off in the captivity to Babylon to be the right-hand man of Nebuchadnezzar, that's Daniel. He used fishermen to, to preach the gospel, you know, in the early church and be his disciples, Jesus. So I love that the Lord will use ordinary people like you and me to give a very important word and truth to people and that we are to give that. And he prophesies. You don't want to hear the word of the Lord, that's too bad. You can try to silence me, but this judgment is going to come to pass. And then in chapter 8, thus says the Lord God showed me, Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. And as we look at this again, this is put before him. And it reminds me that the Lord, as he puts things before us, he wants us to see. He wants our eyes to be open spiritually. I want you to see this. Here's a plumb line. You know, here's a basket of, of summer fruit. I want you to see this, Amos. And there are things that he'll put before us for us to see. As then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people, Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. And hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail. As we read these verses that God will not hear their cries, the time is ripe for his judgment. 
Israel's ripe for a, a you know, dreadful harvest. Summer is over, Jeremiah said, remember? And the harvest is in and we're not saved. So here again, as he mentions that, um, that the songs of the temples, probably, I'm sure, speaking of the temple at Bethel, that this seems to be the focus when the temple is spoken of, uh, of, of the golden calf. There's going to be wailing in that day. It's going to be bad news. And it's going to be something that um, the consequence is great. Dead bodies are going to be in the street. Um, and you, you who swallow up the needy make the poor of the land fail. Again, we see that in their prosperity, they were taking advantage of the poor and the needy. They didn't care about uh, them. They were to minister to them. They were to help their brethren, but they didn't. They took advantage of them. And then in verse 5 saying, When will the new moon be past, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. So again, speaking of you know this dishonesty and cheating of the poor in Israel, when, when is it going to pass that we may sell the grain and the Sabbath? The Sabbath just gets in the way of our business, trade wheat, uh, even the bad wheat, uh, and ripping the people off. Um, it was the feast and the Sabbath inconvenient for them because they couldn't do business, couldn't wait till it was all over. Sometimes I hear, and as we've been in this uh, COVID pandemic for a year and a half, and it continues, and all of us have felt the effects of it. Businesses have been closed down. Some jobs are on the line, um, and we all kind of have that mindset. Understandably, I even have it. When is this thing going to end so we can get back to normal? When we get back to the way that it was. And you even hear that new phrase, new normal. I don't know what the new normal is. You know, it's such an inconvenience, and it is. And when is this going to be over? But I just want to encourage all of us, and that includes me, that during this time, that we would really continue to seek the Lord. Lord, what do you have for me? This is all speaking of something, all leading to something. Will we ever get back to normal? I don't know. Is it going to be a new normal? I, I, I don't know exactly what the days ahead. You know, they're already talking about, can we gather for the holidays, for Christmas? And can we travel? And are we going to keep our jobs? All these different things. So what my prayer is, is that during this time, that we would understand that we're seeing the, the beginning of sorrows that's going to culminate in the tribulation period, the birth pangs, and that, that we are to be seeking the Lord, that, Lord, things can change. And things definitely have changed. You know, certain events happen in history that it changes, you know, the course of a nation or it changes the course of how things are done. 9-11 was one of them. But I think here COVID is another one by even uh, uh, the whole world, how we travel, how we do business and jobs and all these other things. And we think, when is this all going to be over? Such an inconvenience. But seek the Lord because I don't know what the days ahead are. But he does love us and he's going to provide for us. And we are to continue to look to him. But as we read in verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I shall never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this, and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heavy and uh, subside, like the river of, of Egypt. 
God knew and saw what was going on. And then he, he, he speaks of an earthquake, shall the land not tremble for this as well. And of course, we know that Amos would open up the book talking about that he prophesied two years before that earthquake that would come. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, verse 9, that I will make the sun go down at noon. And I will darken the earth in the broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. And I will make like the morning for as only sun and its end like a bitter day. So speaking of celestial sign darkness, I will make the sun go down at noon. I think that perhaps that that is a reference to when Jesus died on the cross. And it was on the cross for six hours. And after three hours, that the, the sun went dark. There was a worldwide uh, darkness that covered all of the earth, not just Jerusalem, but all of the earth for three hours as our sins were being placed upon him. That as, as he was making atonement for our sins, the darkness that covered all of the land, and Luke's gospel is very clear, all of the earth that covered that for three hours, from noon till three o'clock, and then Jesus would say, it is finished. And he took the judgment for you and for me. And it was during the feast time of Passover. It was the time of mourning and, and um, lamentation. And, and here Amos is making reference to that, but also specifically that we're going to see that he makes reference to this judgment that's going to come by the Assyrians. They're going to, to grow in power. They're going to, con- to come to power once again and come and take them away captive. And behold, the days are coming, verse 11 says, The Lord, I will set a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but it shall not find it. So since Israel had rejected God's word, they will hear his words no longer. Um, It's worse than a famine of bread that was going on, or locust infest infestation. There's a famine of the Word of God. And I believe that we're seeing a famine of the Word of God even today in our nation and also in many circles of the church. There, there is a getting away from the importance and priority of the Word of God. And I want to remind you of something, and sometimes I feel like that I can be a bit redundant, but I, I want us to be established in it. And that's what Peter would say. I will not be negligent to write to you the same things, though you be established in them. Um, Paul said it's, it's you know, not tedious for me to write these things to you. But we need to be established in truth. And when Paul was writing about the last days being perilous and the corrupt minds and, and counterfeits and evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse, and those who have a misdirected love, a, a self-love, those who are going to have a form of godliness but denying his power, the, the answer to that is Paul, and the response to that that Paul gives to Timothy and to us is you must continue in the Scriptures. I pray that we as individuals and we as a church always continue in the Scriptures, that we continue in the, the being committed to the Word of God, and there is famine in the land because oftentimes what can happen, there's an emphasis on social justice. There's an emphasis on, you know, things that we can look at and say, well, those are good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. Uh, 
Um, you know, we, we can do those things, but the emphasis is to be in the Word of God. And as the Lord leads us, He leads us to ministering in different ways, but we never get away from that. And there can be emphasis of entertainment or experience or hype or things like that. So here was a famine concerning the, the Word of God. And then they're being, you know, running to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Uh, they, they were seeking that which was false, is what they were doing. They weren't finding the word of God because they would not turn to the Lord. They're rejecting the words of the Lord and the prophecy of Amos. There are those who come along and say, oh, we want to, you know, hear, you know, the, the uh, you know, uh, they'll quote the Bible, things like that. But they're not really seeking the word of God, repentance, his ways, uh, to walk in holiness and, and righteousness. So here was famine in the land concerning the word of God. And in that day the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. And those who swear by the sin of Samaria who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. So the idolatry of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, you, you see this term, those two cities, Dan at the northern part of Israel, Beersheba in the southern part, which is down in Judah. All of it, God's people, that there's going to be uh, falling and there's going to be judgment and a dealing with their sin. And, of course, that would happen with the house of Judah as well. But in the, in the you know, day of uh, fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Listen, if we are not in the Word of God, and we're not being a step in the Word of God, we will faint. We'll become weak. You'll become weak spiritually. That is the truth from the Word of God. We will not be established. We will become weak, and, and we will end up fainting in our spiritual walk. Chapter 9, the last chapter, I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the doorposts, that the thresholds may shake, and break them on the heads of them all. I will slay the last of them with the sword, and he who flees from them shall not get away, and he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. And so this could be a reference to the temple in Samaria, to Baal, and all of it's going to come down. The Lord's going to destroy that temple. In verse 2, though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves on top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them. Though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. Though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set my eyes on them for harm and not for good. So again, speaking of the judgment that's going to come, but one of the things that is being said here is you cannot hide from me, the Lord says. There's lots of trees, you know, up there on, you can't hide uh, on top of Carmel, Mount Carmel there, that mountain range in the northern part of Israel uh, that goes from the Valley of Jezreel all the way up to Haifa in the northern part. Very beautiful, lots of trees. Uh, they thought they, they could tr hide there. There's caves that are there. He can't hide from the Lord. I'm going to know where you are. There's no escaping this. Verse 5, the Lord God of hosts who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell there mourn. All of it shall swell like the river and subside like the river of Egypt. He who builds his layers in the sky 
and has founded his strata in the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. The Lord is in control. He's all-powerful. He created everything. He's all-sovereign. And it's wise for the person to understand who he is and to know that we are to follow after him and not to go against him. Here they are going against the Lord is his name. He is sovereign. He's the creator. He brought you out of Egypt. You know, he's the one that put the, the heavens and the earth in place. Why would we, you know, seek to get away from him when he says, come to me? And that's always the invitation is to come to him. Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me, O children of Israel, says the Lord? Did I, bring, did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaptor and the Syrians from Kerr? As he says, you're no different than the other pagan nations. I hope that we're different than the unbelievers of the world. And as I've said this before, may people look at you and me as they talk with us and see our actions and hear our words that, that we're different than the world. Not that they're going to see perfection, but they see that, that Christ is real in our hearts and, and that we're different than the world. And, and may they see that. And that's what being a witness is about. Not just the words that we speak, but oftentimes it's how we live. Do they, they see that we're ones that were desiring to live after the ways of the Lord? They may not understand that we're living after the ways of the Lord, but you're not living for the world. You're different than the world. And may they see the peace of the Lord and the comfort of the Lord and the joy of the Lord, you know, in our lives, in our hearts and our countenance, that the reality of Jesus is really there. And as we read in verse 8, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on his sinful kingdom, and it will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yes, I will utterly destroy the house of Jacob, uh, or I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. That's important to read that because um, he says, I'm not going to utterly destroy it, um, but my eyes are on this sinful nation. Verse 9, for surely I will command and will shift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is shifted in a sieve. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say this calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. And so they were confident in their prosperity. Hey, Assyria is declining in power. We're going to get more powerful. Calamity is not going to come. This isn't going to happen to us. And again, the scoffers come in the last days, as Peter would write, that where's the coming of the Lord since your forefathers' time? You know, nothing's going to happen to us. You know, uh, there's no end of, of the, the age. There's no coming of Christ. Things continue as they are. And we know that he shall come, and he will come. And then verse 11 to the end of the chapter, speaking of, and I'm glad that Amos ends with this, message of hope and restoration, that on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair his damages. I will raise up his ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman should overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Uh, I will bring back, listen, the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. 
They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. So this wonderful restoration of Israel, you're going to come back into the land. You're going to plant vineyards. You're going to build the ancient cities. We see the prophets of the Old Testament speak of that. Ezekiel particularly uh, does that. In Ezekiel 36, 37, we know that the other prophets speak of that time. They'll come in. They're going to rebuild the ancient cities. They're going to be there. And Amos says that they shall no longer be pulled up from the land that I've given to them. Now, they would go off into captivity. And the interesting thing about the ten northern tribes, there was not a return like the house of Judah. The house of Judah, that when they went off into captivity by the Babylonians after 70 years, a decree was made that they could come back. It wasn't so much that way with the house of Israel. So they would come back, but we know that later that they would be plucked out, the Jews, out of the land once again when the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. And Jesus said that you're going to be you know, held captive by all the nations. You're going to go off into captivity until the fullness of the Gentiles has come to pass. And so they've come back into the land. So this isn't a, a near fulfillment. This is a future fulfillment that I believe speaks of. Now they're back in the land, and now they're back. They're not going to be pulled out again. They are here to stay, Israel. And we see God working on their behalf. But as he's making this promise, and again, all this judgment he's speaking of, that the Lord gives a message of hope. And there, I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to raise up the ruins, repair the damages. But I want to bring it home as we end here, closer to you, that maybe you're watching, you're thinking, I've ruined things. I've damaged things, relationships, my marriage relationship with my kids, respect for people at work by my actions, by my sin. You know, there's been damage. Things have been torn down. And the Lord wants to rebuild. Remember that Joel, they said, I'll restore the years the locusts have eaten. And he desires to rebuild your life, but you must repent from those sins and turn to him. And look to him because he wants to do that restoring work, that rebuilding work. He wants to repair. He wants to repair, restore your marriage, the one that's in trouble. He wants to restore and repair, you know, just relationships as you give it to him. He wants to repair those things that are broken down in our lives. But there's a yielding to him and a coming to him and to looking to him. That is, he desires for us to come to him and know his word and to submit to him and to trust in him. Because remember, he's almighty God. He set the heavens and the earth in place. There's nothing too difficult for him to work in. Remember Jeremiah. Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me? But to trust in him and to give it to him. But go to him. Search his word. Go to him. Intercede on behalf of that situation in prayer. Look to the Lord to help you in your time of need. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time in your word as we finish another book of the Old Testament. And I just pray for us that we would always have a hunger for your word. And as we see famine for the word of God that perhaps is around us in our culture and in life, that we would have just that desire that we would... um, Lord, have a hunger for you 
Even as Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be full. And Lord, that you would guide us and direct us, that we would trust you, that your word is true. And Father, we thank you for this time in Amos. I look forward to continuing in the scriptures. And may we continue, especially in the days that we are in, to look to you, to be blessed by you, to be instructed by you. Lord, bless everyone here. And, and Lord, um, as you set things before us to see, that we would just continue to keep our eyes on you in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, hope to see you at the open house. And on Sunday, as we're going to continue in, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 25, God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Hope to see you this weekend.